0: Welcome everyone to a new episode of In Check with Fintech. I'm joined today by Anupam Majumdar and Ron Mercedi from Flagship Advisory Partners. They are a boutique consultancy and M&A advisory firm focused on payments and fintech. Today we'll be talking about uh, B2B payments, uh, which is an area that actually Anupam and I spoke about almost exactly a year ago. And back then we identified, or Anupam identified it as one of the hot areas within payments. Uh, Hot it certainly is. Uh, In a recent report by Flagship Advisor, advisory. Um, they projected the markets to grow to one hundred and twenty five trillion this year alone. Um welcome guys. Great to have you. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Thanks for, for having us. us. It was yeah. So I guess yeah the, the first question why does B2B
1: payments remain such a hot topic right now? Yeah so you I can make a start and Rob you can chime in. So sure. Rocky as you mentioned one twenty five trillion is not a small number. It's actually you know a big, big number yeah. in the universe yeah. of Payments and commerce. And when you contrast that $125 to consumer payments, you are talking of 125 versus roughly $40 trillion. That's a huge gap between the size of B2B payments in context of consumer payments. I think what's more interesting in B2B payments is it's actually a great field of opportunities for fintech play. So today, approximately only 5% of that $125 trillion is addressed by fintechs everything remaining is actually addressed by banks. And you know that banks, um, they don't provide the best user experiences or the best technology or the integration kits to power innovative use cases or power innovation in in general. And therefore, the fintechs which are winning in that 5% spread have an enormous, enormous opportunity at their hand to grow and accelerate across different areas. And so therefore, we are quite enthusiastic, frankly, in our consulting work as well. You know, we saw kind of, you know, upsurges and swings in M&A activity. But one area which did not stop at all last 12 months was B2B payments. Like investors found a lot of appetite investing in B2B software and fintech assets. And uh, therefore, we kind of believe that the fundamentals of this particular business segment are quite robust. It's a greenfield opportunity, and we are strong believers that Fintext will drive a lot of growth in this arena. So maybe with that uh wrong, you know, if we have additional reflections.
2: Yeah, I think Alabama, you covered most of it. I think the only thing I would add, and and this is something that we observe you know, mostly or more specifically to the US market, is the overall uh you know, the opportunity of disrupting still paper or manual-based payments within B2B. So You know, in in the U.S. specifically, you know that 125 trillion number that we quoted earlier—about 25% or say 30 trillion of that—is B2B turnover in the in the U.S. alone. And of that number, roughly 40% of that um, is coming from checks still today, which is crazy to think about in today's sort of digital digital commerce uh, uh, landscape that we work in. And so. You know, when you compare that to consumer payments, which again, in the US, predominantly card-based today, uh, the opportunity of just transitioning payments from paper-based, check-based payments to a digital form factor, whether that be account-to-account payments, which I know we'll talk about in depth later, uh, or even cards for that matter, uh, just that opportunity to convert volumes is still uh, so great that, uh, uh it's just a very exciting opportunity for both you know strategic investors financial investors uh and that's
0: why we we continue to hear a lot of buzz in that space particularly in the US yeah so it's it's a proven market basically that is ready for some innovation uh, and that's why there's such a, a big opportunity to digitize especially uh, in the US uh with the more paper based checks uh obviously but yeah also the fact that there's only 1% um, of that 125 trillion uh, is covered by by fintechs uh, just goes to show that there's uh, much to be done there, as you said, Anupam. Banks yep. don't maybe offer the best um, uh, customer experience, or are maybe not the best innovative, uh, the most innovative. Although I think they are catching up. Um, yep. It does sound like there's still a, a lot to be uh, to be done there. Let's maybe talk, but that, because Anupam, you're you're predominantly focused on flagship advisory is focused on EU and US mainly, right? And the yep. UK. Um, Ram, you being based out of US, I think you know the most about the US. Anupam, just assuming you know the most about the EU, or at least it makes it easy for me as the host to just divide the topics up. So what are some of the key themes within B2B payments specifically? Maybe Ram, to start with you within the US.
2: Sure. Yeah. So uh, maybe the way to, to to frame this best is to sort of think about some of the, the challenges that uh, uh, B2B fintechs are trying to solve. SaaS and fintech companies are trying to solve for merchants within the U.S. Because I think, one, this may resonate a lot with uh, with what bombs going to stay, so might steal a little bit of his thunder. But then also, I think it's, it's highly relevant, particularly as we think about uh, account-to-account payments growth in the U.S., Now, which I know we want to talk about a bit, a bit more in depth later. And so I'll, I'll kind of th- run through sort of the pain points that are at top of mind and the conversations that we're having with our clients, as well as the research that we've been uh, conducting over the last several years. So I think, you know, first pain point, first and foremost pain point in the U.S. is around the high cost of payment acceptance in the U.S. in general. So that cost can really be made up of, of really two things. Uh, You have both sort of direct acceptance costs, which in the U S when you think about it from a pure hard acceptance standpoint, the U S is the most expensive market by far to accept card based digital payments in the U S talking about acceptance costs that can be north of three, 4% for even developed, you know, in a developed market or sophisticated merchants. you look across sort of the payment acceptance landscape in the world you know you're thinking half of that cost you know on average for the rest of the world to accept a digital payment and so what we find in b2b is this opportunity of shifting again those paper-based checks which the direct cost is low the write a check costs nothing in the us but the indirect cost having a individual responsible for taking those checks uploading them into an account, having to actually do the paperwork to file those away, that indirect cost for the the individual FTE is also just incrementally higher than it would be or should be to accept a, a, a digital account to account-based payment. And so that transition of digitizing B2B payments is sort of the number one trend in an effort of reducing that high cost of acceptance. I'd say the second kind of major pain point and therefore trend that we see is just the overall timing of payments in the U.S. So specifically kind of reducing, to use some industry jargon, the kind of DSO or day sales outstanding, as well as, um, you know, increasing, eventually increasing days payable outstanding in the U.S. And so what we find is SaaS and fintech companies developing, you know, B2B financing opportunities, supply chain finance opportunities to get more liquidity into the market but then also on the acceptance side, more and more of a adoption of uh, real-time account-to-account payments. So in recent, you know, recent years, the ACH network within the U.S. has come out with their own same-day network. Uh, they've now just recently uh, not just come out with FedNow. Uh, you also have the clearinghouses RTP network, and so there's this this uh, push towards real-time payments overall, specifically for B2B, where we think about the SMB portion of uh, of the payments market, that time to liquidity can be, you know, the difference between making payroll and not making payroll in many cases, right? The last pain point that I'll touch on is really around kind of overall remittance data. And we can talk about this in more depth later, but in the US, the legacy rails of being able to enable um, B2B payments uh, have never been historically data rich. And so where SaaS companies are filling this massive void is being able to remit um, remit data to make the reconciliation process easier, to make payments overall easier on both the buyer sending the payment as well as the supplier receiving the payment.
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah.
2: All right, okay,
1: that makes total sense. How is that in the EU, Anupam? Yeah, so you have to keep in mind that Europe is fundamentally a different market compared to the US. So as Rome mentioned, US. Businesses still use paper checks, to all our surprise, but it's an established form factor for business to business payments, Yeah, which is where, you know, because if you're using checks, your cash flows are getting delayed, um, there is no transparency on when you get your money, and therefore fintechs have tapped in that, into that space and have created a good formula for success. I think what the story in Europe is different. I mean, Europe always had a very modernized bank infrastructure, and businesses Oftentimes relied on this bank infrastructure for the last twenty years. What what really happened in the last five years is that that banking infrastructure got even more modernized with real-time account-to-account payments. So the SEPA Instant Initiative, with the European uh, Commission launched, you know that has taken a bit of attraction in the European marketplace. And European banks stopped using checks twenty years back. So the market is a bit different. Um, so when you think about Europe, there are four or five themes that come to my mind where we are seeing a lot of activity. So firstly, there's a higher convergence of software and payments. Now, software and payments convergence is already established in consumer payments, especially in commerce software like, web, you know, web shop platforms like Shopify or even in point of sale, restaurant software like Lightspeed or Muse but we are seeing those trends getting cascaded now in the B2B domains. So, especially if you look at the SME um, software suite that suffices CFO needs, like accounting, payroll, and accounts payables, accounts receivables, spend management, those kind of platforms. Increasingly, we see a higher integration of the software touch points with FinTech solutions, which means these companies are now thinking of creating a new revenue stream out of fintech, which was not the case, let's say, five years back. I think the second thing that we are seeing is there's also going to be a battlefield on who is going to be the financial operating system for the SMEs. And if you take an example, like the UK, you know, you are seeing accounting platforms like Intuit and Sage and others creating the fintech products around their software suite, also branding them, at the same time, you see the neo banks like the Tides and the Revoluts coming up with their own business banking features. They are getting now more on the, more on the software side. So they're coming from a fintech angle to start with, expanding to the software side. And then you have kind of hybrid players, which call themselves half software, half fintech. Uh, someone like a soldo, for example, that does spend management software and card issuing. And there's a lot of competitive battlefield at this point. And it's not very clear to us who's going to be a winner or are we going to have one winner in the first place. But the fact that you're seeing that competition is a good thing because that inherently creates a strong convergence between software and payments in the first place. Um, the other themes to talk about are niches. So B2B marketplaces, extremely high growth vertical, like consumer to business marketplaces are growing at 12 to 15% year on year. But B2B marketplaces are growing at more than 100%. They are still very small, but they're growing extremely fast. And as you can imagine, business-to-business marketplaces, they don't work on payment methods like ideal in the Netherlands or credit cards, but they work on payment terms. And to fit into those leads, we have seen a lot of fintech working capital, uh, early-stage companies which are acting as a middleman between a supplier and a buyer and enabling the whole customer experience through checkout experiences you know discounted cash flows and working capital arrangements so i think there's a lot of momentum in that area as well in europe i think outside of what rom said in us and outside of what i said in europe we are still enthusiastic about cross-border payouts or cross-border payments in a b2b construction and frankly that's an area where we really get excited about because it used to be the turf of correspondent banking relying on the SWIFT network. But that is being attacked now with a lot of fintech solutions that are either championing specific verticals. A good example would be Flywire but in the US, specializing in education, or Pioneer, specializing in SMB or gig payouts or someone like a TerraPay or New specializing in you know, supporting social media payouts or advertisement payouts. And it's a green you know, field. The market is still 95% cross-border correspondent banking related. So if you can disrupt that market, if we can tie out a proposition globally, you have a good thesis. So just to answer you okay, these are some of the key trends we see in Europe, but also in a global perspective.
0: Yeah, so I guess for both... Uh Europe, US, um, globally, there is four B2B, I'd say a big monetization opportunity by the sounds of it, yeah?
1: Yes. For sure.
0: That's interesting. So how we yeah, end up yeah, sorry,
2: Oh uh, sorry, I was just gonna quickly chime in. Um, you know, I think what Anapom highlighted is sort of the, the overarching trends for Europe and globally, I think that that. That's spot on. They they're ex- the exact same trends we're seeing in the U.S. I think if we we think about sort of the the adoption curve of some of those trends, so meaning for example the embedding of payments within uh, you know, SaaS solutions, we'd say that the, the the U.S. market is probably at the the peak of that adoption curve. If you think about consumer payments for a moment and the embedding of payments or embedded finance within those software solutions, the U.S you know, what we would argue is probably the bellwether for that sort of adoption trend. And if we transition that same process to B2B, I would say that the B2B market globally is anywhere from five to 10 years behind the kind of consumer payments of of computer consumer payments embedded payments adoption. Um, and so what we get excited about is that we've seen the growth trajectory and the kind of innovation that's happened on the consumer side, we expect to see the exact same thing on the B2B side on a global scale, uh, just thinking about the U.S. versus you know, broader Europe for a moment, we'd say that the the adoptions just happens earlier in the U.S. and to it did with the consumer uh, payments landscape. Um, and we'd expect that the overall adoption to continue.
0: Interesting.
1: Paris Retail Week, the leading omnichannel trade event is coming up from September 19th to 21st. The event brings together major brands, retailers and solution suppliers in an increasingly experiential format. For the past nine years, Paris Retail Week has helped retail professionals decipher the latest trends in order to plan ahead and finding the right partners and solution providers. Grab your tickets today by visiting parisretailweek.com and don't miss the leading event for omnichannel commerce professionals.
0: Yeah, how is that for, so if you look at it from the kind of SaaS players or from the uh, merchant side, let's say, for lack of a better word, just to generalize it all. So from the merchant side going into B2B payments, super complex, right? Would you advise for them to do it themselves? Is it a buyer build strategy um, kind of the question, or how would you go out? Because there is, you mentioned, uh, for example, accountancy companies, right? They go into B2B payments, they try to monetize their business model further. And they might be interested in setting up their own payfac for example, yeah. um, how do you generally see that? Maybe the question is first, how do you generally see that? Do you see these type of uh, accountants and companies, SaaS businesses look at, okay, we're gonna do it ourselves, we're gonna get our own license, uh, we're gonna build our own kind of infrastructure, or is it more, you no, know, we partner with a fintech or a B2B payments company, or what's kind of general trend in, in that regard?
1: Yeah, so there's, I can chip in with an answer, and then Rom, I think you, you can chime in with, with an example yep. from the US. So okay, there's normally a maturity curve in monetizing payments and fintech, meaning in our experience what we have seen is if you're an early stage company, a few years in existence, and you're very early days in monetizing fintech, you start with partnerships with PSPs. So you would typically outsource everything to your PSP. The PSP would control the onboarding, the experience, the brand. So you're kind of just acting and working with a referral partner. As you start scaling more and more volumes, your ambition on the strategy side to control the user experience becomes more and more imprinted. And that is where you start thinking about internalizing parts of the value chain in-house just to create the right customer experiences and create stickiness with your customers. And over a period of time, as you scale really big, uh, you know, once you have big operations across a lot of markets, you have a very, very strong client base. You're, supporting millions or billions of transactions on a yearly basis, you would want to control all of that experience yourself. You would want to control and play an active role in monetizing all those benefits yourself. So to your point, I think in the US market, and I'm sure Ron will have a thought process there, there are payback model, uh, flavors of payback model that you can start dissecting into to control the experience more and more. You know, starting with a very light payback to become a complete, you know, payback licensee When you control the brand, you control the onboarding, you control the experience and you monetize larger parts of the economics. And we see this maturity pretty much being replicated across markets, so both in the US and in Europe. Every company would go through a similar trajectory. Like Intuit, for example, they did not start with a banking license on day one. They went up their license once they got a bit of scale, once they got a bit of maturity and when their ambition was clearly that I want to make a revenue stream out of fintech and financial services. I'm serious about it. This is my strategic intent. And therefore internalizing all of this operating model made a lot of sense. Now I must comment that the maturity in Europe is still lagging uh, to to that of the US from a B2B side. And there are fundamental reasons for that. One is the payback model is relatively new and nascent in the US market. The commercial interchange on cards is much, much higher in the US than in europe that for the economic incentives to also offer payments is also a bit of a developing story but i'll stop here but i think Rom has got some good experiences from the us
2: yeah and uh i'll i'll quickly touch on that and then i'll circle back to kind of what this means for b2b payments specifically so uh as, as Anupam alluded to you know the decision to partner versus build versus buy in the in the U.S. has actually gone through some meaningful changes in the last five years. Or so, um, or really the last three years, frankly. Uh, if you think back to really the the, the payfac models as originally described, um, it would be meaning registering with Visa, Mastercard, becoming a registered payment facilitator, onboarding a group of sub merchants, being able to settle to them, et cetera, et cetera. But what's really emerged in the U.S. specifically is this concept of a managed payfac or a payfac light model where you can look, feel, seem like the payment service provider to the end merchant or end supplier without actually going through any of the licensing agreements, without owning some of that risk um, and being able to to kind of get that payfac light model stood up in anywhere from six months to a year. And that's the general trend on both the consumer side as well as the B2B side of sort of software-enabled payments is, is trending towards that Payfac Lite or managed Payfac model. But what's I would say the caveat becomes when you think about enabling B2B payments is that it is inherently more complex for the payment service provider to provide those solutions and the SaaS provider for that matter. And that reason is, is really twofold. Uh, the first is uh, that you are trying to solve for kind of a buyer and a supplier use case with a SaaS and a payments offering whereas the consumer side other than needing to be able to provide a receipt the consumer in general state you know generally speaking the consumer side is sort of solved for already for an acceptance you know for a payment service provider but when you talk about enabling b2b payments you really have to think about uh being able to provide uh you know strong remittance data uh there's additional uh kyc or kyb uh, implications for both the software provider and the and the payment service provider uh, when onboarding a buyer or supplier onto their network to enable B two B payments, and that's why you actually find when you you look at you know we we mentioned earlier that kind of the growth of B two B marketplaces is is certainly a trend that we see overarching the industry. You think about consumer marketplaces C two B Stripe and Audion become the are sort of the you know well-known global marketplace leaders, but as soon as you shift to that that B2B e marketplace side, it's where they, even for themselves, their own offering tends to be, uh, you know, less kind of industry-leading because of those in- additional inherent complexities. And so, you know, what SaaS players that want to offer embedded payments within B2B need to focus on is really enabling the software tools that overlay those payments. So offering e-invoicing, offering payment workflow controls. So if you're on the count payable side, making sure that there's multiple layers to kind of authorizing a payment to go out. If you're on the receivable side, being able to uh, you know, authorize that an invoice has been paid, tie that payment from your bank statement into the, the, the invoice that you received or you sent out. Um, and then that overall, you know, data control access across the company, all of these sort of nuances uh, become critical for both the payment service provider and the SaaS provider to sort of build into one bundled product where you have less of that complexity on the C to B side. So I think, you know, in all in all, that's sort of the that's where the, the paths diverge for in terms of enabling payments uh, within SaaS is that for the C to B side, you're solving for really the merchant use case. In B to B payments, you find yourself trying to solve for both buyer and supplier use cases through your software solution in some way or form. Uh, you know, you may be an accounts receivable specialist, but you can't neglect that your accounts receivable um, uh, clients are going to have several different, you know, payables or buyers that they're working with on a regular basis. So that, that need to address kind of both sides of the equation is the inherent complexity with B2B SaaS players versus call it C2B SaaS.
0: If we look at account-to-account payments, then you kind of alluded to it already, Ron, uh, earlier. Um, recently, he was, there was the introduction of FedNow. Maybe to start with that, why is that such big news, the introduction of FedNow?
2: Sure, yeah. So th- to, I'll, I'll keep this short. So the, the the FedNow is really the first kind of um or you could call it the second, but really the first kind of national uh, real-time payment scheme to be launched in the U.S. Um, in, well, in the last six years, it's the first, but uh, also just one that it should be or is is being launched with potential reach to go to the many, many banks that are in the United States. You know, there's thousands of commercial or, you know, community banks, credit unions, uh, regional banks in the U.S., and, and what... FedNow now aims to do or can do is actually reach each and every one of those because all the banks are plugged into the into the notch network the ach network in the us and what the FedNow is is basically an extension of nacha for real-time payments and so where people are getting excited is that uh, where previous iteration of real-time payments in the us the the rtp network which was launched by the clearinghouse which is bank owned primarily large bank owned uh that has had good adoption in the U.S., but it hasn't been able to reach that critical mass of sort of business accounts. I think it's somewhere in like the 60 to 65 percent range of total accounts that it reaches in the U.S. Whereas where people are excited about FedNow, we could see that you know number potentially reaching 100 percent. And uh, a, a real time payment network is only as valuable as the network effects that it creates. So with FedNow, that opportunity to reach 100% adoption, near 100% adoption through banks, you know, makes it really exciting for fintechs, for payment service providers, for SaaS companies to start to build propositions on top of the FedNow network and really sort of launch account-to-account payments within the U.S., which have to date traditionally been legacy ACH batch payment processes and that have not really gone through
0: any sort of real-time payments innovation to date. Yeah, because the use case is great not only for B two B payments, but also for B two C, B two B, C two B payments, all of it, right?
2: On the whole, yes, uh, I would say that you know there's there's certainly an opportunity for disruption across the the spectrum that you just quickly touched on. Uh, you know, I think for if you asked flagship our our opinion on sort of the potential for disrupting, call it C two B versus B two B payments. Uh, we're certainly more bullish on the B2B side of things and by that and for that reason is for a lot of what we had mentioned earlier Right, there's still a large prevalence of checks in the US Uh, that in of itself can be disrupted by a more real-time payment uh, solution Uh, the the FedNow network is also designed to also carry additional remittance data so it starts to sort of solve that problem Um, whereas on the C2B side of things, the consumer payment side, I think there's a few more headwinds that we would expect to see, um, and the biggest of those being kind of what we said at the very beginning of the conversation, which was uh, the U.S. market is still a very card-centric market for consumer payments. I think if you take, can't remember the last time I looked at this number, but somewhere in a neighborhood of seventy-five percent of U.S. consumer payments are done via credit or debit card. And so to gain adoption of sort of a real-time account-to-account payment scheme within the U.S., you have to start to disrupt some of that three-quarters of of total consumer spend on cards. And to disrupt that is challenging in the U.S. because I mentioned before, the high, high cost of acceptance in the U.S. is mostly being driven by interchange and assessment fees, which are put on by the issuing banks and the the card schemes. And they do those one to obviously earn money, but they're also using those fees to fuel rewards programs in the US. And so um the US market, the US consumers become, for lack of a better word, addicted to the rewards that they can earn on a on a on a credit card or uh in some cases on on some debit cards as well. And because of that, what you have to do is really create an incentive for uh For consumers to move away from their card-based payment to an account to account payment well you start to have this chicken and the egg concept of well the only way that i can get a consumer to switch over well one of the many one of the several ways but one of the main ways is to offer rewards well as soon as i offer rewards i have to make the sort of cost of acceptance side make sense well now my cost of acceptance to take an a to a payment starts to go up as that goes to go starts to go up On the merchant side of the equation you become less and less likely to want to accept that payment because it's going to cost them more and you slowly have this sort of you know vicious cycle of slowly account to account payments may look smell feel like a card transaction but you're not solving the kind of fundamental problem which you know if if i'm a merchant at least that i want to see solved which is this bringing down of this insanely high cost of accepting a digital payment in the us and so Until there's a large merchant, a large player in the U.S. that can crack that code, you know, for us, we view it as potentially some sort of bank consortium that comes out and and creates uh, an account-to-account payments proposition. Uh, Whether it's a large, large enterprise merchant, some of the mega merchants you have in the U.S., such as an Amazon or a Walmart. Um, Or maybe those payment service providers that have both a consumer and a uh, business value proposition, someone like a Square or a Block um, with their cash app uh, proposition or a PayPal uh, with their own merchant acceptance business and obviously their own PayPal wallet. Those sorts of companies we see as potentially disrupting the C to B market. But I think in the early days of FedNow where we're going to see the most disruption is going to be on the B to B side. Because it can still, there's just so much runway to sort of chip away at that manual payments um, you know, volume, the tens of trillions still going through check. I think uh, FedNow can can solve a lot of the the challenges of accepting those payments. Of course, only if uh, we find PSPs and fintechs that can build on top of the FedNow network. And so that still is the long pole in the tent banks have to enable it first, but then there also has to be the ability for these these SaaS companies and, and those enabling B2B toolkits uh, uh, to actually build on top of the network. So we'll
0: have to wait and see how that shakes out. Interesting. What, what about, uh, maybe to close off Anubam, uh, what about uh, M&A within the B2B payment space? Uh, you guys obviously advise quite a bit when it comes to yeah. uh, M&As. What is the activity you see or what is it that you expect with regards to uh, the B2B payment space?
1: Yeah, so I think M&A actually will also vary for geography, right? So in a US market, you're going to disrupt the check payments with digital payments to the extent possible. So the now and all the initiatives around account-to-account payments will create the catalyst for a lot of M&A over assets that have connections to all of these new networks. So software players can, you know, strategic software players can buy these assets internally and create a champion that offers integrated software and payments to disrupt the U.S. card and the U.S. check payment network. So we will potentially see some M&A there. I think in the U.S., which is also native to the U.S., there are some very specific verticalized software. So, for example, manufacturing or healthcare or insurance. You have specific workflow uh, champions and but there is what what is lacking there is kind of a framework that sits behind all of those verticals. So you might want to consolidate that space and create an AP automation or an AR automation player that specializes in five or six verticals and can capture market share in a big way in the US market. And I think in Europe you will start to see a bit more tactical MA. So the US tailwinds will flow to Europe, which means if you are an AP automation or the AR automation uh, software or fintech serving mid-market or enterprise clients. You want to offer a similar product across markets. You want to offer the integrated payouts product across markets. Make it a one-stop shop instead of going to your banks. You can rely on one software for all your payment software needs. So I think that thesis we already saw in the last 12 months, to be honest. So the Coupa transaction, this Thama Bubble acquired was a similar transaction uh, we also saw some of the more merchant acquiring assets, buying B2B assets more tactically. So I think those those kind of uh, opportunities will continue to grow in Europe as well in the future. And then I think in cross-border payments, look, there's a very, very fragmented market. So I think that fragmentation will excite a lot of investors to consolidate the market. And, and and for if you're a PE firm, it's a great place to invest because you know you create defensive modes. You have long-term fundamentals, which are green, uh, gives you great exit options in the future. So a lot of things to get excited about. And I think tactically, to what we we both said, you know, marketplaces or commerce enablers in a B2B setting, you will start seeing some more tactical m a in that horizon. But uh, honestly, we think this year and next year, this all started last year. Is going to be an active year for B2B payments from an MD and from investor funding perspective.
0: Ron, anything to add there? Nothing for me, though. I'll have uh, to touch it all. Exciting. All right, good. So great. So there's a lot to be happening still within the B2B payment space uh, this year, let alone what will happen in the future. There's a lot of potential, I think, is what I take away from this chat, which is great. Thanks, guys, for sharing your views and updates on the market. Um, As always, very insightful. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks a lot.
0: Our pleasure. Thank you.
1: Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of In Check with Fintech. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the like button and leave us a comment below. We'll be having more industry leaders soon, so don't forget to subscribe as well in order to keep updated with the latest episodes of our podcast.